Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 195 of the Peristyle Podcast. Yes, 195 episodes. Pretty crazy. Today is November 14th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast talking about your 8-2 USC Trojans coming off a 40-17 whooping of the Washington Huskies and former USC assistant Steve Sarkeesian. If you have any questions or comments, and we have a lot of those today, please drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or you can give us a call. We have some voicemail questions we'll play today, 206-888-6755. Please leave a brief voicemail, and we'll play it on the air. And Coach or Dan or myself or Gerard would love to answer your questions about the USC Trojans or USC recruiting. And as always, we have the Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Coach, what's going on? Great to have you on. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. It's great to be on. And uh, now uh, everyone looks forward to the Pac-12 championship game in Eugene. You know, they'll probably host a game in Eugene anyway, but that's the way the Pac-12 set it up for the championship game. So how do you look at it? I think the best team in the South is USC. Uh, Oregon, obviously, has proven they're the best team now in the North. So let's call it the Pac-12 championship game in Eugene on Saturday. It very well could be that, Coach. And unfortunately, USC wouldn't be able to go up there and represent the Pac-12 South, but it does look like they're playing the best football by far uh, in the Pac-12 South. We'll see. Still got a couple big games left. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor before we go any further, Southern California Tickets. If you want tickets to uh, go, you want to go to that Oregon game, check out there. I did get an email or two about winning tickets, so I've referred them to sctickets.com. Or if you want to go to the UCLA game, obviously that's going to be a big one. A lot of people at that game at the Coliseum. SCTickets.com or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets. And, Coach, I know you don't need tickets, but you were up there in the press box for the Washington game. What, what were your overall thoughts of that game? Well, you know, uh, Ryan, watching the game, going into the game, I don't know how many people listen to pregame show and so on. I just thought USC was a faster football team. I thought USC was peaking now. They've had four straight good games where they played together as a team. They've enjoyed the feeling of winning. The crowd has been there. The support has been fantastic. And Washington is just really, you know, who have they beaten, really? When I, when I look at their schedule, they've beaten Eastern Washington, Hawaii, Colorado, Arizona. There are three losses that are good teams, Stanford, Oregon, and Nebraska. So by just looking at it, looking at their team, and remember they didn't have Jake Locker this year with them, which makes a huge difference in their offense. They weren't the same football team as they were or have been in the past. They're a young team with great talent and so on. So uh, I think they were a challenge for the Trojans, because everybody is a challenge, because they make them their bowl game. And it was a big recruiting game for USC and Washington, since Washington has 56 players on their roster from California. So it's a, a coup for USC to be able to say, hey, you know, we own the L.A. area or Southern California or California in itself. So... It was a very valuable victory, and it took the Trojans to an 8-2 and two record, which most schools in the country would be very, very happy to have. And then again, it always uh, puts a negative vibe to it, too, but you always look back 
you never always count up your wins. You always look back at your losses, and you look at it and you say, oh, no, the Arizona State game. That's, oh, how did that happen? Here's Arizona State losing their last two games against UCLA and Washington State. And you say, how did we do that? Well, if you don't play great football and you turn the ball over and you don't score in the red zone, those things happen. But SC has now improved that. They believe more now in the running game. I'm not sure they're running the ball enough. But once they decide and believe in it and pound the rock and throw the ball of their skilled athletes like they have, they can play with anybody. I agree with you, Coach. It's been uh, pretty impressive. And that's our first question from Evan. He says, uh, after the game uh, of Arizona State, I wouldn't have predicted this, but he's serious now, saying that Coach Lane Kiffin should be considered for the uh, Pac-12 Coach of the Year. He's very happy how far this team has come. And he was at the uh, Duck-Stanford game, and some Ducks fans were telling him that USC could be scary good next year if guys like Matt Barkley and uh, Matt Khalil come back. I think a lot of people, what he's saying is basically other people outside of USC are starting to recognize this team is talented. And they're very good. And he wants to know if you think Coach Kiffin could be Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Well, he could be. And uh, being when you think about all the things he's been through as far as the sanctions, scholarships, uh, players leaving, uh, you know, and then really got this team to, uh, in an identity. You know, this team at the beginning of the year, you kept hearing me say, you know, what's their identity? What are they doing? There's more players on this team than – Robert Woods, share the love. You do all the things you heard me talking about. Quit rotating the backs. Find out who your backs are and play them. Well, now uh, they've been able to identify some of that, and they're throwing the ball around the field to other skilled players and running the football with Curtis McNeil and Tyler's healthy now and so on. And uh, he could be. But, you know, it's very tough for a team that's on probation for the Pac-12 to want that coach to be coach of the year. I mean, I look at them and I say, there's so much politics involved in this. What would what would everybody think? A coach of the year from the team that can't play in our championship game or can't go to a bowl game. I think he may deserve it. Will he get it? I don't think he will, but uh, he should. And maybe he should could sneak in there. Uh, you know, he's done a great job of putting this team together that is a very young team and is maturing. I'm glad people are recognizing what's happened at USC, because it certainly is going to help in recruiting and everything. But, but Ryan, let's take a look at this. Does the Pac-12 want to have Lane Kiffin, their coach of the year, really re- realistically? I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to see it happen to stick it you know where. And I'd also love to see him beat Oregon at Oregon, not only just because it's a great game, but because the real champion is going to be playing in the championship game. He'll be a Arizona State or UCLA. I like to see all these things turn around. Plus, why I would like to see SC beat Oregon. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be a negative type of guy, but I'm a little bitter with the with the penalty USC got. Okay, it's absolutely ridiculous. The Pac-12 would lose $15 million. Because that would mean Oregon would have two losses. They probably wouldn't go to a BCS Bowl game. Stanford, if they went out, would go to the Rose Bowl, maybe. And uh, who knows? So, you know, I'm one of these guys that sit back and say, okay, things are going to have a little different. We're getting even. Yeah, no, it could be. I think a lot of fans insinuated that, too. Even in the Stanford game, some of the calls that it wasn't in the best interest of the Pac-12 for USC to come out and roll everybody. And I still don't think they would like to see USC win the South and have the, you know, the, the winner of the South ineligible to go. You know, it'd be better for USC for the Pac-12 if USC finishes second. And they don't have to say, oh, yeah, USC won, but they can't go. 
Well, what I like about it, too, is the reason they won't let USC go to the championship game. USC could go to the championship game, but they're afraid they might eliminate a team that might go to do the uh, BCS Bowl game, so they're not going to let them play in the championship game. But they might be able to do that by beating Oregon. That would eliminate them anyway. Yeah. So I'm one of these type of guys that, you know, I rant and rave in the locker room, and I tell my players all week about where, the, you know, the pressure's on Oregon. The pressure's not on us guys. And coming off of Stanford, they, they, they went for it all at Stanford. We didn't go for it all against Washington. Yeah, we wanted to beat Washington, but this is who we want to beat. This is our bowl game. Because uh, realistically, we should play well against UCLA and finish up 10-2 and two if we can get UG, uh, Oregon. So me, I'd be all week talking about, you know, we'll buy ourselves rings. Remember those rings that used to come on cigars where you used to pull off this that little ring and then open the cigar up and smoke it? Well, we'll all wear those around for a year or two. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you got to have fun. you got to be loose. you got to be able to play. And SE matches up pretty good with Oregon, but they're going to be the fastest team that Oregon's played this year. I know everybody's going to tell me about how fast um, LSU is. LSU is a very physical football team. I think in a relay, though, USC would beat them if they put their four fastest players against USC's four fastest players, okay? And I think that uh, it would be a great race with Oregon's four fastest players against USC's four fastest players and I mean a relay. I think it'd be a great race. They ought to have these type of things. But uh, it's going to be a great matchup, and I think it's going to be a lot of scoring, and I think it's going to be a fun game. All right. Uh, well, let's let's get to some more of these questions. Here's a voicemail question for you, Coach. Hey guys, this is Leo from Bakersfield. Had a question for the coach. Coach, would you um, or what's your opinion on using someone else's scheme versus using your own scheme. The prototype to be Oregon is out. Ohio State, Auburn, and LSU have shown the world the blueprint how to beat Oregon. What's your feeling on that? Thank you, guys. Love the show. Start off. All right. Basically, uh, he's asking me uh, – well, I couldn't hear him clearly. Oh, like changing your scheme. So he's saying that, like, Ohio State – LSU, uh, Auburn, they kind of showed what you can do defensively to, to slow down the Oregon attack. Should USC change their defensive scheme and kind of mimic what those teams did to, to stop Oregon? Oh, good, good, good. Very good question. Very good question. When, when Ohio State played Oregon, they played a base defense, didn't change anything, didn't want to change anything, just thought they were a better football team defensively and played them in a base defense and did shut them down. If you remember that year, the quarterback had, I can't remember his name, the little guy that transferred went down to uh, Mississippi. I can't, what was the name of that quarterback? Uh, Masoli. Yeah, Masoli. And uh, he, had a, he had a bad game. They threw the rhythm off, and they played base, and they put a rush on him, and it really messed up the uh, Oregon offense. I've been saying all along that that's the way you stop Oregon. Auburn did it. Auburn just was so physical inside. Uh, they knocked their guards back with Reedy. They couldn't get started because the way uh, Oregon blocks you, they block you and take you wherever you want to go in the back line as a whole. I used to coach that way a lot when I had great running backs. I'd tell my offensive lineman, you just tie. We're going to take big splits. You just tie, and we'll leave it up to the back to find where, they, where the areas or the space. So that's what Oregon does. So, But they can't do that if you knock the offensive lineman back. You've got to knock them back and, 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 and take the rhythm away from the Oregon offense. But, yes, you have to be physical. And I thought that uh, 
that uh, Oregon's line I don't think is as good as last year's line, but uh, but I think that's what they have to do to beat Oregon. They really do offensively or defensively. They got to really bang them up, play very physical, and everybody play their responsibilities. Remember, you're not gonna you're not gonna take everything away from Oregon. What you want to do is slow them down. And remember, when they lost to LSU, they held beat themselves. I think Oregon was a better team. I think Oregon would have beat LSU if they hadn't had those turnovers early in the year. So you got to cause them to do things that throw their rhythm off and take their confidence away and, and, and have them have some turnovers and experience things they don't experience. And when that happens, you get momentum going too because you start to really believe you're going to beat these guys. But I'll tell you, you can't keep it close because they can strike really quickly coming back. So uh, uh, that's the way I'd play them. You can't change your base defense because if you change your base defense, your own team thinks, well, we can't beat these guys. These guys don't believe that we can play our base and they think they're better. you just got to play it smart, and everybody's got to take the responsibility and the coaches have to do a great job of coaching this week. They really do as far as walking through and making sure the players really understand their assignments. And that's one reason now I think it'd be smart. And I'm not saying they're going to do it if Glippo starts at the middle linebacker because he's been there. He's played against Oregon twice. He knows the system. Dawson's a great player, has great speed, don't get me wrong. But he's going to be excited in that stadium. There's a lot of noise in that stadium. There's a lot of things going on. And you need a guy in there to sort of line up the playground. Because, you know, with all the young players playing for USC, you've got to have a teacher out there supervising the playground. So, you know, I think it'd be good to, to let Gallipos get this start. Not that, you know, Dawson is a great player and hadn't played well and it's going to be a great player. But I think in a noisy stadium like this where you have to stop this type of offense, you've got to have somebody that's seen it before. And Chris has. Okay. Uh, that's also kind of Renee's question. He wanted to know how you would defend them, but he, he said he would use a 3-4 uh, defense with the safeties playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, I'd play the front three in a straight-up position so they can read the zone blocking schemes of Oregon a bit quicker. That was that was Renee's take. Well, Renee, uh, you know, whatever works, works. And, and of course, uh, they've seen every type of uh, defensive scheme uh, against them, and I'm sure they uh, – uh, you your, your thought – if executed properly, would could work. I don't know exactly what you're thinking of how to play it and so on because they read your safeties, they read everything on how you're forcing and taking the option. They basically just run about six plays. They don't have a lot of plays. They just run them from different formations and different motions and so on, and it all comes off of the dives, the quick-hitting dives, and why they're so hard to stop, guys. You don't see quick-hitting plays anymore. Who runs quick-hitting plays? used to be with the veer, if you remember. We used to have line backs, and they'd run dive, then the outside veer and all this net. You don't see those quick-hitting plays like this all the time, where you just barely block your guy for a split second and the back's gone. And that's the way James and these backs make their plays. So uh, it's a different thing, a different reaction time for you. And, and, they, and, and immediately, you know, they do it more often than what you practice it. So they're going to be better at what they do than what you do. So it's just how you play that day against them, and they've got to mess it up a little bit to help you. 
Okay, uh, here's John. He's like, does Lane Kiffin have an aura of arrogance when it comes to his play calling? I just get the feeling he tries all these cute things to show how smart he is. A classic example of this is when they try to run the fly sweep with Robert Woods. They don't hand the ball off but pitch it to him. This is stupid to bring up because they are scoring in the 40s lately, but I think that they can do it faster and easier, John. Nothing's ever good enough, Coach. <laughs> well, nothing's really um... – good enough but i understand what this uh, person's saying i i do he you know like you watch the washington game i think the first six plays were all passes and uh i kept saying myself wait a minute wait a minute you got to balance this out you just can't it's almost like we're going to shove this down we're going to do it whether you want us to do it or not we're going to prove to you we can throw against your secondary no matter what you're doing or whatever we're going to do this we're just going to do this and uh, sometimes that's not the smartest thing to do but uh, because of the great athletes and so on, what he has, you know, he, uh, SC has turned into a big play offense now. I don't know if you notice that or not. They make nice big plays all the time. McNeil's got a couple of real touchdown runs. Uh, Lee runs back a touchdown for on a kickoff return. You're hitting deeper passes now, which you never hit early in the season. Uh, you know, and, and then you nickel diamond with the bubble screen and so on. But, you know, they and, and Telfer's become a great player offensively now. He's just a huge receiver and he's such a, a big, nice blocker out there on all those screens that they throw and, and those short passes. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that going on. He wants to do what he wants to do no matter what you're doing. And he did that earlier in the year, and I think it really hurt USC when he was throwing the ball to Woods 14 times and 12 times and so on, trying to force it and make it happen anyway. And I think it has taken a toll on Woods. I think he looks tired. And I would personally, in my opinion, I'd take him off all special teams and rest this kid and have him ready to, to play and use his energy. He's beat up a little bit. But, and it's after a while, he found out there was a Lee on the team. He found out there was a Grimble on the team. He found out there is a Telfer on this team. And like this last week, they didn't throw for a lot of yards, but they had a nice big win. Very true, Coach. And uh, at the beginning of the game, they weren't running the ball at all, and then they had a hard time with it. But once they stuck with it, obviously the running game opened up and, you know, 250-whatever yards rushing. It's a pretty good day. Um, here's a question from Pat. So during the week, Coach, they were uh, – John Baxter, the special teams coach, was playing. Uh, he had a squirt bottle with him. He was squirting the footballs with water. So when Khalid Holmes had to snap them, he was snapping wet footballs because they were anticipating rain on Saturday, which didn't come at the Coliseum, but they were trying to get ready for it. Obviously, they could see some this weekend uh, at Eugene. But Pat wants to know, they spray the football with water uh, for practice hiking when it rains. Why not practice all the time with a greased ball and greased receiver's hands to sharpen up uh, reception and ball handling skills. Have you ever done anything like that? Doctor the balls to 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 make things better for the receiver, harder on the receivers or the snappers. No, I've never done anything like that. If anything, we've done things to help them. Do you remember stickum? We used to put stickum on the receivers' hands, and if you remember, in the NFL, that some of these pros used to put them on their whole arms, up and down their arms, and so on, and put it on their hands. And eventually, uh, they. Uh, discontinued that. And then they went to the gloves. The gloves that these players wear now uh, are the type of gloves that they give you a good grip on the football when the football comes to you. So uh, I don't think I would do that. Uh, first of all, I think it's not realistic. And secondly, it's not in a, it didn't put you in a game situation. And uh, I, I just have never heard that. But, you know, who knows? Who knows what you're going to do? I, I don't think that will happen. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, 
any anything you know there's a lot of questions out there and i i, I value every question you people call me i've just given you my honest answer yeah I, I couldn't think of a a great reason to do it but you know i guess when batters are in the you know in the batting box they put a donut on their bat to make it a little harder when they swing and then it's like the bat's lighter i don't know but uh we'll see maybe we can ask we can ask lane kiffin if he ever had did something like that don't ask him that question. <laughs> okay. We He'll won't. look at you. You know, I don't know what the answer might be. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> that's very true. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to save your life. Yeah. <laughs> it would have to be behind closed doors. Uh, okay. JJB had an interesting take on this. That uh, He said every time – there's a lot of talk about the juniors coach, obviously, uh, leaving for the NFL. He says every time you have a junior who is a possible first or second, early second round draft choice – Everyone's always asking the question, will he come back for his senior year? The answer is always, it will depend on what's best for him. A famous person once called this generation the me generation. Everything is about the individual. There's no responsibility to the group. How much did USC invest in these players? Say if players leave early, the school is somewhat cheated. Uh, don't you have the responsibility to the school and the coaching staff? What about loyalty? Um, he had kind of went on a little bit longer than that, but was just basically saying that the school invests a lot in these players. Uh, why aren't they having more loyalty uh, towards the school and, and, and just stay for their senior year? Well, I'll tell you, I agree with him 100%. It's the old uh, money, okay? Everything's become money now, money, 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 money. And we used to wear a T-shirt under our uh, jerseys. The shimble shirts used to say team and about six-inch letters and me and about a two-inch letter. Just let people remember that. But now it's the other way. It's me and then team, and I hate to say that, but you have to play as a team and so on. But when you're a five-star player and everybody on the radio and TV and everybody's writing and talking about what round you're going in, and Mel Kep, Kep, what is it, Mel Kepper? Piper. Piper, whatever his name is. Piper, yeah. These guys are, you know, I don't know where they come up with all their stats and so on, but uh, are predicting he'll be the fifth player picked or the sixth player picked, and half the time he doesn't even know what he's talking about getting paid for doing it, which isn't a bad deal. I'd like to have that gig, okay? Um, uh, you know, then these kids start to, to and start to think about, oh, what if I get hurt, and what if I do this, and, and so on, so on, so on. First of all, I don't like it at all. I think if a kid signs a letter of intent to go to a university, he should fill his obligation at that university. I also feel if a player comes out early, he should pay back to that university every penny that it costs that university to educate him. Because that university was baby, uh, let's look at it this way, uh, a, a minor league for that that kid. That kid didn't finish and get his degree, so he used the university to prepare himself for his business and go out and leave early when the university needed his uh, support and talent for the year or two he had left in college. So uh, I really believe in that, too, and I think there'd be less players leaving because if you had to pay that leaving and say you didn't make it in the NFL, you'd owe a nice bill to USC or a nice bill to some of these universities. You might owe $150,000 and you don't make it in the NFL, and all of a sudden, who's going to pay this bill? So I think you've got to put a little responsibility on a lot of these kids today where where they really do think of, of the university or really think of the opportunity they get by playing at USC and getting a degree, not just at USC, but any university. And uh, and and I I don't like it. I think these players should come back, but the money and the, and all these people out there that are talking about the, that they should come out now and and all of that. I I disagree with all of that. I think Barkley should come back. Khalil should come back. Perry should come back. All of them should come back and play for a national championship. 
and I, I think it's a loyalty to your university. Hey, Tommy, you can't buy a national championship. You can't buy a Heisman Trophy. You can't buy those things. Where are you going to purchase them at? They're, they're part of your life the rest of your life. Put some uh, insurance on yourself, $20 million, whatever is necessary, which you think you can live comfortably the rest of your life, Lloyds of London and so on. And if you get hurt, I think you can make it on $20 million. And come back, and, and I'll tell you what, when people do that, the university loves them. And I'm going to make a statement here. And this is probably a strong statement. I shouldn't be saying this statement as far as representing or not representing. But this is my opinion. I want everybody to understand my opinion. If Matt Barkley came back and played his senior year, someday he'll be a trustee at the University of Southern California and maybe even someday the athletic director because of what he showed his love for the university. And how can you buy that? Yeah, Coach, uh, good points there. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with you, uh, most of it because, and we're unfortunately we're kind of running out of time, but my biggest issue is that the players are signing a one-year renewable scholarship. So, I mean, players, and we, we might see that this year because of the, the sanction situation where these players aren't signing a four-year scholarship, they're signing a one-year scholarship. So the school has to renew it every year. That's uh, right. So, I mean, I think that's one of the issues, that if they were signed to, like, a four-year contract or scholarship, oh. I think it would be different. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I don't believe that. I tell you, I've never canceled a kid's scholarship in my life if he got hurt or anything happened to him. I don't see a university ever doing that. Look how many kids have stayed on scholarship at USC that's been injured. Hey, you, you, don't, you know, it's like a veteran. If someone gets hurt, you have a battle on a Saturday. It's a war. And if you lose it casually and you have, and someone gets hurt, you don't ever cancel their scholarship and so on. I mean, that kid stays on scholarship forever. Look at the Swim with Mike program and some of these great things the university have. It's absolutely fantastic. But I'm not going to argue with you, Ryan, because no. it's just a <laughs> philosophy. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just how you feel, okay? No, that's a great. That's It's cool to talk about that question from JJB. Thanks for that. But there will be a lot of talk about that, Coach, as soon as the, the season's over. Several USC juniors have a chance to go pro, so we'll have to wait and see what they decide. That's exactly right. Okay, Coach, well, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much for all the insights, and thanks to all the questions out there. Lots of, uh, man, it's been a great year for the podcast. Tons and tons of questions. So I think the, the popularity is growing. I know we, we reach people from other parts of the country that don't get USC news all the time. So thank you to all the questions out there, and thank you, Coach. Hey, and thank you guys for uh writing in or calling in or emailing in the questions and so on. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. And, and again, let's thank Southern California Ticket Service. Yeah, sctickets.com. Check them out if you need tickets to go to see USC Oregon, if you're going to make the trip up to Eugene, or USC UCLA, the big season finale Thanksgiving weekend at the Coliseum. Well, thanks again, Coach. And everyone else will be back in 30 seconds talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. We're going to ask him some questions 
a lot of your questions all about the Washington game and, of course, coming up against Oregon. Uh, Dan, how you doing? Very good. Very good. It'll be a good week, I think. Yeah, only I can't believe only two weeks left of USC yeah. football with these uh, sanctions and no bowl game and no bowl practices. But pretty crazy that there's only a couple weeks left. Uh, a lot to play for, though, for this USC team. And uh, we got a ton of questions, so why don't we jump right into it. Uh, Fast Eddie said he just finished watching the game. We played great. I'm extremely upset and annoyed with Lane Kiffin. Man, Lane Kiffin's 8-2, and two and he's already annoyed. But he's annoyed for playing Matt Barkley the entire fourth quarter when USC had a 40-10 to 10 lead and Washington had their backup in. What a great opportunity to get Scrog in some reps like Washington did with Montana, and he totally blew it. Why play with him with that score? Well, I think uh, uh, Montana was in because Price got hurt, basically. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know that they that they plan to do that, but it makes the point. Lane basically said that they, uh, they were just very – uh, unprepared, the way things were going with uh, with substitutes of that on the on the second group, and he just didn't feel comfortable putting in a you know a quarterback. It probably points to the fact that they've had issues with bench discipline and sideline coordination, and one of the reasons is is the head coach has to be overseeing that, and he's, he's got to be given credit for doing a heck of a job in so many ways. He's also the guy who's totally focused on calling the next play. And it is one of the issues. I mean, if it were up to me and, I, you know, they you know, asked for my recommendation for next year, I would say they really do need to get a play caller because I think, you know, Lane – you know, is showing that he can do all the things that you really want a head coach to do on the sidelines. But you can't do everything, and you can't do everything at once. And if you're saying things like, well, I've got to call this next play, I really can't get this uh, second group organized enough to get our uh, quarterback in there and, uh, uh, you know, get, uh, you know, everybody in the right place. And let's face it, there are some positions where because of, of some depth issues, uh, you know, it's a, well, who exactly will play at that spot and blah, blah, blah. This is what you'd like him to be able to spend more time as the head coach. So I think it does point out some issues. Uh, yeah, Matt shouldn't have been in there at 40 to 10. There's no question about it. And Lane, you know, kind of said, yeah, we were kind of, you know, goofed up as far as, uh, you know, personnel. And, and there were, you know, might be a small injury here, a little one there. And you're not sure, uh, you know, who all can go in. And so, he thought they were so kind of confused in terms of uh, some of the backups that uh, it wouldn't have been uh, also uh, a good thing at the same time to put in a new quarterback. Uh, but it indicates a problem, and it's got to be it's got to be solved. All right, uh, thanks for that one, Fast Eddie. We'll see uh, what happens going forward. It might not be any opportunities at Oregon. Could be some at UCLA, uh, against UCLA. We'll see about that. Uh, we do have some voicemail questions, Dan. Uh, if you want to call us, 206-888-6755, please leave us a brief voicemail. And we have a few of those. And here's one for you, Dan. Hey, guys, great win uh, this past weekend. This is Esteban from Atlanta. Actually, my question this week was if you had any updates on all the Willie Lyles cases that went on Oregon investigation. It seems like that's died down. Um since the season started, and just any update on that and possible uh, disciplinary actions that would come against Oregon. So thanks, guys, and we'll uh, see you next week. 
No, I just uh, know that they're, you know, they released some documents uh, uh, undercover, basically, of the Penn State case uh, early in the week uh, from Oregon. Uh, from what I understand, there wasn't anything absolutely sensational, uh, you know, in the, the new documents that have been released. But, uh, uh, you know, it would certainly look like uh, uh, there's very little defense for paying Willie Lyles $25,000 for what he gave them. Uh, and the fact that he was already considered, uh, certainly looks like, uh, you know, representative of Oregon's athletic interests in, in dealing with, uh, uh, you know, some of the players that came from Texas, uh, that that would be a real issue and, and, and not an easy way for uh, Oregon to, uh, uh, to defend itself. However, in the new, uh, kinder, gentler era of the NCAA Committee on Enforce or on Infractions, that may not be an issue. Uh, you know, to try to, you know, uh, obviously anyone who knew anything and looked at the USC case would have come up with a completely different result from what the Committee on Infractions decided to do to USC. So to look at these cases and say, well, here are the rules and here's the history and here are the precedents. So here's what's going to happen. It's just, it's just of no of no value whatsoever. The NCAA has already passed rules saying they don't have to you know abide by any precedent. They can do whatever they want. Whatever the group on the committee wants to do to you, they can do it to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So uh, probably spending a lot of time looking at at what's coming out in any other case. Is, is just a fool there, and, uh, you know, they did what they wanted to do to USC for whatever reasons they had in their minds, and they're going to do whatever they want to anybody else for whatever reasons, and there's nothing you can do about it. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what USC fans have been hearing, and it's true, and there's nothing, there's really not much you can do but move on, and you got to give uh, Lane Kiffin some props for getting this team to be 8-2 and two and a chance to win 10 games. Um Cool. It's amazing how hard they're playing. Uh, is just it's it's you can't compliment them enough for uh, for as hard as they're playing uh, every game. It's just amazing. All right, uh, John had a couple of questions. One, he doesn't like the black socks. He just thinks they're they're ugly. Uh, he doesn't think it goes with the unis and that needs to go. Low cut black socks would be okay, but the long and everything else is just hideous, according to John. And then he also wanted to know about. Uh, He's not there every day, but do you think there's been any regret for burning the red shirts of Carlisle, Amir Carlisle and George Farmer? Neither has been entirely healthy. And in the end, they just don't have that many plays. No, I don't think it's about this year, and I don't think it's about, uh, you know, results right now. I think they'll both be far better and far more ready to contribute next year or this spring next year. Uh I think without a doubt, the farmer, there's no second-guessing farmer. He, you know, if he's anywhere near up to his potential, the chances of him coming back, uh, you know, uh, a fifth year are probably, you know, less than zero. Uh, so, you know, I don't, think that's a, I don't think that's an issue. With Amir Carlisle, I think probably for Amir's sake and, and maybe for everybody's sake, just getting to see his potential there, uh, I think was a good thing, and, and I, I think it was good for him. Now, whether you know that'll you know limit him his ability, uh, you know. After, I mean, I'm thinking he's going to certainly graduate in four years. So uh, again, the chances of him 
coming back for a fifth year maybe weren't all that great. But 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 no, I I wouldn't second guess either one based on uh, results or number of plays this year. I I, I think it's uh, you know I think three three we'll get three more years out of uh, out of those kids and and I, I think they'll be they'll be happy with uh, with that. Okay, here's a another voicemail question about guys playing two sports. Here you go. Hi, Ryan and crew. This is uh, Chris from Portland, Oregon, deep in the heart of duck country, unfortunately. Uh, looking for a win this week weekend, hopefully. I'm not going to be able to go to work on Monday if we don't. Um, uh, thanks for bringing USC football to the Northwest. I had a quick question for Dan. Uh, I know last week they talked about Armstead, um, Eric Armstead um, wanting to play two sports. And I remember last year that was the same deal with Marquise, and I was just wondering if we could get an update, if he plans on playing basketball this year or what the deal is. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. Uh, and talking to Kevin O'Neill, Kevin said, uh, I, was, I guess we were talking to him during the week, like Tuesday, and, and Kevin said, he said, honest to gosh, if, uh, if Marquise Lee walked in the, in the room right now, I wouldn't know him. He said, I've never talked to him. And he's heard, you know, these various things. And I said, well, I said, one thing you would recognize him is, I said, if he was out on the floor, they said you could throw a lob to him uh, for a, uh, you know, slam dunk, and he's probably barely six feet tall. And he said he does dunk the ball on an 11-foot basket. Uh, and he, he kind of said, wow, I'd kind of like to see that. But uh, uh, I think it's mostly uh, talk. I think Marquise is, is, you know, so occupied with football right now and just where he's been able to go as the season goes on, that that has to be the last thing in, uh, in you know, in Marquise's, uh, you know, thought process right now as to, uh, you know, maybe I should be playing basketball. Now, maybe in two weeks, you know, he'll be looking around and, you know, no bowl game, no, uh, you know, anything else to look at. And maybe Marquise will say something about that. But uh, I'm not sure how his, his athleticism translates really well on the football field. Is, is is a guy who plays much bigger, you know, than he is, uh, and we're still not absolutely certain because he looks so much bigger than than he's listed. However, how that would translate in, into college basketball, you know, no matter if you can dunk it on an eleven foot basket or not, um, you're not probably going to be attacking the rim with a guy that's a little under six feet tall. So, uh, uh, and, and I do think that's where Marquise is, you know. Uh, skills were in high school so uh uh you know i think they'd be fine with it i actually think that would not be a problem it certainly wasn't you know for eric armstead i mean i think that was a big part of the uh you know the the approach was uh you know if you come in early uh you know you could definitely play uh so i don't think that's an issue i just think uh right now it's not high on marquise's list of, of things he has to do yeah, and I think in general, Dan, just quick, like, I mean, you saw Jordan Cameron, who played basketball at BYU. It doesn't, I think players liked the idea of, yeah, I'd like to play both. And then once you realize how much work it is to play one and do school, it's tough to play two. Right, and how good you have to be to really contribute. I do think Eric Armstead could do it. I, I think he would be one, just because general size-wise, there are things that you can do out on the floor that you don't have to spend a great deal of time, uh, you know, uh, working on all of the finer points and that. There are some things that you can't teach and can't coach. And, and being uh, 6'8 and 280 and, and moving pretty well, 
uh, taking up space. So, so I don't think it would be uh, all that much of a stretch for Eric. But I, I do think it, if you're going to depend on all the finer skills that you know have to translate to basketball, uh, it's really uh, that's a challenge. Uh, I mean, I think occasionally uh, guys are going to be able to do it, not as much as they did in the past. But uh, you know, and, and for USC, a team that. Uh, it, you know, pretty much lost a couple of recruiting classes for, you know, a number of different reasons in basketball and uh, basically is playing this year with eight scholarship players. Uh, there's always room, uh, you know, for another body, I think, at, at USC for this year and maybe even next year. But uh, uh, but that's kind of a, a unique circumstance uh, at this point in time. But, but I, I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, Marquise is going to play basketball. Maybe he will. And you know, just do it to see see how it works out. But uh, uh, it wouldn't be high on on his list. I don't think of things to do now that he's shown you know shown us uh, what kind of potential he has as a football player. Okay, uh, here's one from Mike. He said, "If there's one thing I've learned from Coach Kiffin and his staff, it would be their golden rule: to be the best, you must practice like the best. No group exemplifies this more than the linebacking core. Uh, rewind back to the start of spring ball." where it seemed another bad year was ahead with no projected starters available. With the success of Pollard and Bailey, I trust coaches' decisions when players complain of playing time. I've got a, a feeling next spring we'll have players lined up around the corner to compete, and the Trojans will be on track to start a new era of dominance and conference despite the sanctions. Thanks and fight on from Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think the linebacking thing has really worked. Uh, you know, I think they've made good choices there. Uh uh, the Dion Bailey choice was, you know, uh, uh, clearly they, uh, you know, they had to figure out a way to combat the uh, the dominant spread offenses in the in the Pac-12, and I think they made an absolutely perfect choice, you know, with Dion uh, Hayes Pillard. I think they really, you know, developed him uh, well. I think the uh, it's a shame that uh, Lamar Dawson had the high ankle sprain that took him out, you know, essentially of four games. I think the first time we've actually seen Lamar Dawson look like Lamar Dawson uh, was uh, Saturday against Washington when he just he was running people down. I mean, he just was you know exploding to the you know and, and now you think, boy, that would have been uh, how nice that would have been for USC to have that uh, all through the season or to have had him ready to do that, say at the Arizona State game. I mean, just having Lamar alone able to play at the level he is now at the understanding and physically back to close to a hundred percent, uh, just having him on the field probably would have stopped half of Arizona state's offense that night. And, uh, so you could see why it certainly looks like, uh, what USC as much as, as they will tell you, no, it's not just directed at Oregon. It's directed, uh, you know, being able to, you know, be athletic and run to the ball and all of that is, uh, is, is something that they have to do for the entire Pac-12. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, this coming game and think, uh, you know, there was a reason they had to get Lamar back on the field and they had to get him, uh, you know, some real action uh, before the uh, Oregon game because he does give them a dimension of somebody that can really run, you know, from that middle linebacker spot, can really run, you know, run people down. And, and yet you don't want to take away from Chris Gallipo if you think, uh, just look at the Washington game and uh, the things he was doing on special teams, the uh, couple of blocks he got on the uh, uh, on Marquise Lee's uh, 
80-yard touchdown return and things like that. I mean, I think they complement each other in a, in a lot of really good ways, uh, but there's an explosiveness about Lamar uh, that really works with the, uh, with the idea of having three linebackers that can really run to the ball and, uh, and cover in, in ways that you, you've got to play, uh, you know, sideline to sideline in the, in the Pac-12 now. Uh, well, you, you mentioned defending Oregon. We did have a couple of questions on that. Uh, David said, what is the sense around the program for how, if at all, we can stop Oregon? I understand our linebackers are faster, but is that enough? Based on the peristyle, this seems to be a game most fans don't think we can win. And another one, another question was, I have trouble imagining our defense containing Oregon. Is there anything about our defense that suggests we can do a better job stopping them than we have the past few years? Well, you know, it surprises me. I think people's uh, sense of history uh, or, or ability to forget. I mean, if you remember last year, midway through the third quarter, the score was 32-29 to 29 USC. I mean, I know people kind of forget that. but And that was after two busted coverages because USC had tried to finesse things and they had added things that week and – Instead of going more basic, they had tried to come up with some extra stuff for Oregon, which, of course, on two of those touchdown passes in the first half to Jeff Mayo, who pretty much walked into the end zone, USC was in, basically had busted coverages in the secondary where two guys were in one coverage and two guys were in another coverage, and he runs a crossing route that leaves him basically un, uh, un, un, uncovered. And... Uh, Take away one or so, just take one of those touchdowns away, and where does that put USC midway through the third quarter last year? So, uh, you know, you do get a sense of people, you know, maybe overplaying, you know, how good uh, how good Oregon is or how good they can be. Obviously, they do things differently from anybody else, and they've got a uh, an ability to, you know, to put you in a in a bad way in terms of how they snap the ball and uh, probably some of the things they do that maybe are really close to the edge in terms of uh, uh, the way they, you know, the center moves the ball around and the way they wait and try to get you uh, in your stance on defense for so long, and then they snap it when you're, you're not exactly ready to go. Uh, the fact that USC gang tackles better, runs to the ball better, uh, I think, you know, are all pluses. I think the defensive ends, I think uh, having uh, looking at Devon Kennard now and finally seeing that spark, you know, that you think, okay, he's really getting it now and he's really being able, he's able to use his athleticism. Uh, I mean, I think the key is the, uh, is uh, where is Dejon Harris this weekend? Uh, Christian Tupu, it looks like he got cleared uh, uh, from the uh, knee sprain yesterday. So, uh, but having that uh, interior line rotation, last year USC went into that game with just two defensive tackles, and by the end of the game they were gassed, and, and that, was, uh, that was a tough way to go. So uh, if you've got three and if you've got J.R. Tavai, who's been playing more and more, you basically maybe can go into that game with four defensive tackles for a rotation inside. So, uh, so I, I, you know, we'll see how, how it goes. But I, wouldn't, I think I'm not probably – quite as negative about, uh, you know, the defense uh, against uh, Oregon uh, as, as a lot of the posters on the tee. But, uh, but I do think it, it, it's incumbent on Monty 
not to give them, not to give away any plays. I, I think there are times, for example, as well as they played Saturday, there was a drive where Washington went 57 yards in, you know, like four plays in a minute and scored. And it was one of those where, well, let's just protect the lead here. Uh, we'll just instead of coming after them and putting them under pressure and forcing them to to do things quickly, we'll just sit back and kind of play soft and see if they make any mistakes. Well, they didn't. And, you know, and, and you, I, I don't think at Oregon you can give them anything. So we'll see whether, you know, USC is able to play in a way that essentially says, Oregon, you get to earn everything, and we're not giving you anything, and we're going to see if Darren Thomas, uh, you know, can play with a lot of pressure, and, uh, and we're not going to break down and, you know, miss tackles. Uh, you do all those things, uh, then it's up to the offense. And, you know, and I know uh, Lane said he thinks this Oregon defense is now better than last year's defense, and they still do the same thing. They rotate a lot of players, and, uh, uh, and they just give you different looks, and they're unconventional, and they come at you in different ways, and they take chances. You've got to give them credit. And they're not afraid to take chances, and uh, they want to give you bad plays. And uh, that's not a bad idea, actually, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, give teams bad plays. And if USC can give Oregon enough bad plays, uh, you know, I think, you know they, they've got a chance. Uh, but uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, they had a chance against Stanford and didn't make it happen. Uh, I think they've got to, you know, they probably gave away too much against Stanford where they just conceded things. And I don't think they can concede things to Oregon. I think the good thing about playing Oregon is, you know that going in that you can't concede much to Oregon. So maybe in terms of how the game's called, that helps. But I'm not as probably negative as uh, as, as some of the folks are. Okay, and then we have one last question. We're we're kind of running out of time, but we'll uh, try to get this one in quick. It's from our friend Guy. Hello, guys. This is Guy from Lake Balboa, uh, and I hope Dan's on the show today because. I just saw on CNN uh, this morning, it was about 5 o'clock, a Congressman Rush uh, from Illinois got on there and uh, and stated in no uncertain terms that the NCAA was mafia-like and it was treating students like indentured uh, 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 servants and that it was... Uh, and all the things that you've been saying all along, I was wondering if you were aware of this uh, at all, at all. Uh, and is this, if this is part of that, uh, that the initi- initiative that's been started uh, 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 to try to get things going. I forget what that's called. Is it, it's called the protection, uh, af- athletes' protection or something like that. Anyway, I just thought I'd let you know. I, I know I'm a little, a little disjointed here and a little excited, but uh, you know, I, I just happened to catch it, and I think you might be interested. Okay, fight on. Yeah, uh, guy. Actually, that's a kind of one came in out of left field. I, I mean, I'm I'm probably not somebody who would uh, uh, vote for Bobby Rush, but uh, uh, and he's coming at it from a different angle. He's coming at it from the fact that the NCAA has. Uh, and probably historically, and now that uh, anyone who saw that really good article uh, in the uh, in, in the Atlantic uh, uh, that talked about how historically, basically the NCA was looking for a way to uh, 
co- you know, compensate uh, athletes with uh, scholarships, but to make sure that they weren't considered uh, employees or paid, uh, you know, for doing for services because uh, the NCAA did not want the schools didn't want to ever have to, you know, uh, pay them things like workers' compensation and. And, and have responsibility as sort of an employer-employee response, you know, re, you know, relationship. And I think that's more where Bobby Rush is coming from. And, and that's I think the NCAA is answering that uh, kind of attack where it's come, you know, they've come up with. Uh, Mark Emmert uh, said, well, maybe we can offer two thousand dollars more per athlete, um, you know, for school year in order to, you know, compensate them and and, and get closer to the true full educational costs and things like that. And that would help, you know, USC's kids, for example, who are probably significantly below full educational costs because of the high cost of living at, at USC, especially for the ones that live off campus. But uh, no, the CAPA, that's a, the College Athletics Protection Act and Association, their, um, their uh, uh, approach and the other one that we hinted at is coming at the NCA in a completely different way. And it's not going to be long before we're going to be able to show you exactly what uh, they're coming at the NCA, uh, what direction they're coming at the NCA. And I thought it was interesting. I talked to somebody that was at the, uh, the close to the media, Mark Emmert, address on Thursday night at USC. And I get the sense that they don't understand what direction this new attack is going to come from. And this is good. Uh, so when it happens, I think the NCAA is going to be a little surprised and shocked. And uh, I think it's got a chance. Uh, it, it, but it'll be another way that people can go through Congress and go through the legal system and use it against the NCA in ways in which the NCA has you know, been able to kind of fight off in the past and may not now, just because there are so many different uh, uh, kind of attacks coming at them, and people realize you know they aren't the answer. And unfortunately, the USC case may be when people write the history of the NCA in 50 years, they'll say the last giant mistake that the NCA made turns out to be the USC case, where they overreached and overstepped and absolutely uh, had no interest or no concern or no care about doing the right thing doing the fair thing, doing the honest thing, doing the decent thing, or doing the thing that basically uh, they were set up to do. And uh, I think when you look back at it, people will say, you know what, that USC case actually mattered. It you know, didn't help USC probably at the time. But uh, uh, although you've got to give them credit, some of, the, I, some of the ways in which Lane is pursuing this, USC actually has a chance, and as Lane said the other day, USC might be the only place that would have a chance to deal with the kinds of unprecedented, over-the-top, and uh, and uh, you know pretty much outrageous uh, penalties that the NCAA you know delivered to them. But uh, but we'll see. But no, uh, Bobby Rush's uh, uh, attack on the NCAA is, is a completely different uh, uh, attack from uh, from uh, the the ones you're going to see here in the near future. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate the uh, candid insight as always, and thanks for coming on the show. We'll uh, talk to you this week at practice as USC gets ready for Oregon. And, uh, again, we'll talk to you next week on Monday on the podcast as well. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan. See ya. All right. Thanks, everyone, to all the questions. And we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Gerard Martinez, more USC football 
and USC football recruiting. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, joining us on the line. What's up, Gerard? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I hear we've got a lot of questions, so let's get to it. Let's get to these. All right. Uh, we've got a ton of recruiting questions. David wants to know, um, am I right in concluding that our stock with recruits is higher overall now than it has been the last couple of years? The Oregon game aside, there seems to be an extremely positive feeling around the program like the worst is over, and I'm wondering how that translates to recruits. Yes, that's definitely true. Uh, I think a lot of recruits that have been to games and have been around the team see a lot of improvement. And really, USC, for the first time in many, many years, and we're going back to 2001, 2002, they're looking at USC as a program on the rise. Uh, USC has kind of been at the mountaintop for a while with Pete Carroll, and it was one of those things where I think a lot of recruits were always debating, you know, do I want to play for that really good team, and maybe you don't play right away because they've already got great players, or do I want to go to a team that's kind of rebuilding, and we put our name on something that is going to be the next dynasty, the next legacy. Well, USC's at that point where, you know, you've had sanctions, and they've, you know, had a couple losing seasons, not losing in the sense of they've lost more games than they've won, but losing in the sense that it's not to the USC standard. And I think now you're starting to see a different regime, a different feel, a different team, and they're building, and they're building with their backs against the walls, and I think a lot of recruits like that. Uh, all right. Thanks for that one, David. Here's an interesting one. I did a piece on J.R. Tavai, and you got to see a lot of him. He was kind of like the unheralded uh, defensive lineman from this class of 2001. He wants you to compare him from the 2011 class to uh, another like kind of unheralded guy, uh, Pio Vatuvi. I believe that's how you pronounce it. On paper, they seem similar. That's JD and DC. Pio Vatuvi, yeah. Uh, you know, Pio, I think, is, is really actually a little bigger, um, a little more known as a recruit because he got out to the camps. Um, I think it's maybe similar to some extent. I, I really like uh, Tavai playing running back uh, at Maricosta. I mean, he was a guy that was all league, uh, playing both sides of the ball. Matuve uh, is, is a little more of a straight-up defensive player. He does play some fullback. He does have a couple touchdowns, uh, but those are really like short-yarded situations. Matuve, um, I think really there's a lot of comparisons that could go to Christian Tupo. I think that's really the guy that you look at, that hard-nosed, physical, quick, uh, obviously you know Polynesian kid, uh, uh, I think that, you know, he's a really good kid, has re- really smart, um, and really, I think, chemistry-wise, is really good with this class. And uh, I-, I think there's a lot of, you know, similarities uh, with a guy like Christian Tupo. So um, if I had to make some comparisons, I would say that might be the comparison. Obviously, both guys playing on the inside. Uh, Vatuve right now is a defensive end. He's about 265, 270. Uh, I think there's without a doubt that he could end up being 285, 290 by the time he becomes a junior in college. So, uh, you know, both those guys, I think you can draw some comparisons comparisons but for me i think the one that stands out the most at this point is probably christian tupo 
Okay. Uh, great one. Here's Joe. He wants to know, he said, there's a lot of sleeper talk uh, about recruits that USC's in the hunt for the past couple of weeks. But on the flip side, are there any current commits or heavy USC leans that you think could get away, sort of like DeAnthony Thomas did last year? Well, I mean, we didn't see DeAnthony Thomas necessarily come in until it was already, you know, him up and visiting Oregon in the last week of signing day. <laughs> so it's tough to say, you know, do we see another one coming because we didn't really necessarily see that one coming. Obviously, I think Jayon Mickens is a guy that we've talked about being a commit, but, you know, how many receivers is USC going to take in this class? That's a guy that could end up maybe going to Washington, going to Cal. Um, I think, you know, Darius Rogers has always been kind of a – uh, an interesting recruit and he's talked about taking visits and you know Arizona State he was really high on for a while but now he's kind of backed off of Arizona State and he's talking about Cal and Hawaii and kind of some odd schools that you know in terms of on the field haven't really been a threat to USC and that tends to be where you know if you're going to get a kid it's a it's from a, a team that's been able to kind of show USC up it's been able to show that they have more to offer uh, than USC either from a playing time standpoint or maybe a winning standpoint I mean obviously the Thomas going up to Oregon, it was big because Oregon had beaten USC, Oregon had that offense, and, you know, Oregon had some ties into the Snoop Dogg League, and, and there were some people that I, I think obviously got, you know, DeAnthony Thomas to go up there and to take that visit because he was, you know, kind of a local kid that, uh, you know, with his family and everything, there was really a push for USC for the longest time, and it was just that last minute where he decided, you know, he needed to go up and check out Oregon. So, you know, there was a lot of that that kind of went on. So that was kind of the planets aligning to some extent. Extent. Um, you know, could there be a guy that's still down the line, uh, decommits from USC that's in this class? I mean, they've got 11 commitments. Sure, I think there are, but I think, you know, the really the bulk of the class, the guys that are really solid guys, um, they've been down to USC a lot. They've been they've been around the coaches a lot, and that's always the telltale sign uh, of of a, of a recruit that's really a solid commit. It's really a guy that's been down there and wants to see USC and wants to be around the team. Uh, Joe had a follow-up, too. Is there a Garrett Green type of quarterback that USC is looking at in case a worst-case scenario takes place? By that, he means like Barkley leaves, one of the two redshirt freshmen wins the quarterback battle, uh, and then Scroggins and or Kessler Wittick transfer, not wanting to be the next Mitch Mustaine. That's from Joe also. And that's really tough. A lot of people are trying to figure that out right now. What happens if Barkley leaves? And then you've got one of those two Richard freshmen. Somebody gets named the starter. Does the other guy immediately transfer? Uh, does he show a little patience and wait and kind of do the Matt Leinart thing and, and kind of wait his turn? You know, what happens with Jesse Scroggins if uh, one of those Richard freshmen end up being the starter over him? Uh, it's really hard to predict kind of how that's going to pan out. I, I mean, you would think maybe – Maybe the quarterback situation solidifies itself if Barkley comes back more than if he leaves. If he leaves, is there a guy out there like Gary Green? No. And I don't think USC is necessarily going to look for Garrett Green. I think they're pushing a little harder maybe for a guy that ends up being a little more of a competitor for that starting job, maybe as a true freshman. There's some names that are out there. We've talked about Gunnar Keel, who's a quarterback out of Indiana, who was committed to Indiana for a while. Uh, he's looking at Notre Dame. He's looking at USC again. I kind of don't feel like he's going to be the guy for USC. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I've said it time and time again, I don't know if USC really needs to go outside the state of California to look for a quarterback. Jake Rodriguez is the guy that they offered earlier in the recruiting process. He's committed to Oregon. I don't really see him decommitting from Oregon. Obviously, if Bar leaves, USC's got that golden ticket at quarterback, and, and Oregon doesn't. I mean, you're looking at 
every guy that's basically started at USC as a quarterback has gotten a chance to be an NFL draft pick, uh, if not an NFL first-round draft pick. So, I mean, a lot of quarterbacks see that, and they're really attracted to that. So USC can dangle that out there, even with two redshirt freshmen that are really good players on the roster. We may have some stuff in here uh, with the war room on this subject a little bit. I've heard some other names kind of tossed around, surprising names uh, that USC might be looking at as well. So we'll see how it shakes out. But really, you know, the first uh, the first block that has to kind of tumble uh, in this whole you know domino effect of what's going to happen with the quarterback position is Barkley, whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go to the NFL. All right. Uh, good stuff there. Thanks for that, Joe. Here's just a couple from Jeff. Uh, first, uh, what do you think about the team – the, the beatdown, I should say, that Stanford took on their home field on national TV, do you think that hurt them with some of the guys that USC are, is after going after, like Pete or Murphy, Davis, uh, guys like that? It depends how USC plays Oregon. I mean, if USC goes out to Oregon and they lose uh, by a wide margin and, and don't look like a competitive team with Oregon, that they're trying to close the gap on Oregon, then I think with Stanford, it's pretty much uh, status quo. If USC goes up there and they play a good game and, and they play Oregon tough and they look like you know they find some vulnerabilities on Oregon that maybe the next couple years uh, they're able to take advantage of and beat Oregon, you know maybe you know Stanford starts to slip down a little bit. Stanford's kind of recruiting a lot of different players in USC. It's it's not really a lot of head-to-head stuff. There are some guys like Andres Pete who was up there for an official visit this weekend, who USC is also recruiting. And you look at the offenses. You know, for offensive linemen, I think there's some head-to-head battles that USC's trying to win. Kyle Murphy, we've talked about him, the six-seven, two hundred seventy-five pound offensive lineman from San Clemente. Same deal where he's looking at Stanford. Stanford does run more of that post-style offense. They do run an offense where they're going to use their offensive linemen both running and blocking. Oregon doesn't really do that. So you're you're definitely for the offensive linemen, there's going to be a little more head-to-head battles. Uh, But, you know, I I don't know. Stanford, it's a unique situation, the academics. um, And we're going to see if, you know, David Shaw is able to kind of keep the mojo going that Jim Harbaugh did. You know, Jim Harbaugh is having a lot of success in the NFL. And if Stanford starts to slip up a little bit, and people are going to start to wonder, is David Shaw really going to be able to keep that unique situation that Stanford had going up there with Jim Harbaugh? Is he going to be able to keep that going? That's still up to debate, and um, we'll see. We'll see what goes on. Uh, you know, Stanford obviously had a really good year this year, but I think it's going to take the bowl game to see, you know, whether they're going to be able to uh, to kind of keep it going if they play another really competitive team um, in, in the BCS Bowl or even just a regular bowl. Okay, and then he had a follow-up. He says, second, could Gerard tell us more about this new push for Yuri Wright? We could use another big DB in this class with with Seymour. And he says, great job, Ryan and Gerard. Thanks for all the updated news. I think SC Swag is back, and the team is going to upset the nation on Saturday. That's from Jeff. They're going to upset the nation, huh? So, <laughs> the whole, I guess I guess I everyone's going to be mad. The whole nation would be upset yeah. if Oregon lost. I know a lot of people in Alabama would be pretty happy uh, if Oregon lost. So maybe it's uh, the nation minus Alabama uh, that uh, is rooting uh, against USC uh, in the Oregon game. Uh, you're right. You know, I don't know much about him. Um, I don't know that he's really going to be a guy that, that seriously looks at USC. Uh, there's, you know, a couple guys from the Don Bosco team that USC has recruited. Uh, you know, Darius. Um, what's his name, Darius, uh, there's another five-star defensive end that was looking at USC and 
he, he never really seriously looked at USC. And he's also from Don Bosco. Um, I'm usually good with names, but I forgot. So I don't know. I, I'm really not really familiar with uh, Uri Wright very much, and I don't really think the East Coast at this point is really where USC is going to be recruiting a cornerback. I think they've got their cornerback. I think there's one cornerback that's on that board for USC, and it's Kevon Seymour. And if they could get Kevon Seymour and kind of uh, wrap him up um, here towards the end of the recruiting process, that's kind of their guy. They really don't have enough numbers um, to, to try to cherry pick too many guys out of state and, and to really get too fancy late in the in the recruiting process, I think. Um, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. They were able to get some guys uh, late last year, uh, but like we said, you know, it's 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 really – I think it's coming down to the wire as far as the numbers situation and, and taking, you know, that many more than 15, who's going to be on the team next year? You know, are there going to be some, uh, you know, defections tra- transfer-wise and are there going to be maybe some guys that just don't make it medically? You know, there's 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 a group of guys there that, you know, we kind of eyeball and we kind of watch and practice and, and guys that are not playing a lot right now. And, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, what's going to happen with those guys next year? Are they going to be able to be on that 75-man roster? So, um, you know, with numbers, you know, one cornerback, that might be it for USC. Okay. Uh, let's see. We have JC. Man, he has got like four questions and a ton of names. I'll try to hit some highlights here because uh, we try to keep it. I want to try to get to everyone's questions. Um, he actually talked about a couple people comparing them to Jason Gibson last year. He's uh, Tyreek McCord, uh, Dante Fowler Jr., and uh, how did, O-D-E-N-I-G-B-O. I don't want to screw up his name again. Remember, we talked about that last week. Right. Uh, uh, about J- comparing to Jason Gibson and maybe talk about uh, any updated official visits for those guys. Um, not yet. We don't have any uh, solid dates for, for anybody yet. It's probably going to be at the end of the year. Um, that's kind of what seems to be, you know, it's, it, most of these official visits at USC is scheduling, uh, especially for the out-of-state guys, coming towards uh, the end of the year and, and into December and, and even January in some situations. It kind of seems like, for the most part, they put off a lot of their official visits till after the year. And, uh, you know, maybe that just has to do with concentrating on football and football season. And that's really how Pete Carroll did it for a long time. Um, you know, he, he really didn't have a lot of official visits during the year. Last year, uh, Lane Kiffin brought in quite a few official visits during the season, and that was the first time in a long time that they'd done that. Um, this year it hasn't been that way. And so a lot of these are being pushed off into, you know, December, January. I think January, January 14th, I'm already hearing, is going to be kind of a big weekend for USC. Um, November 26th, that might be the one week during the season where you'll see uh, a lot of official visits. Um, and I say a lot, I mean maybe six, seven possibly. Um, it's uh, the UCLA week. Great rivalry game. You know, the, the, the Coliseum should be packed with uh, USC fans. We'll see if UCLA fans show up. It's not been a great season for them. Um, but it, it's definitely one of those games where uh, USC has always kind of circled that on the calendar, even under Pete Carroll. Uh, last game of the season, whether it's Notre Dame or UCLA, that they bring in a lot of recruits. So there's a possibility you could bring, you know, some of those guys in. I think, you know, Tariq McCord is probably going to come in with Nelson Aguilar, uh, and that's going to be probably sometime in December, um, if not January. That's going to be a later visit. Uh, we'll see what kind of happens with, you know, some of the other guys. You know, Dante Fowler has kind of been 
in and out of, yeah, I'm going to take official visits. No, I'm not going to take official visits. It depends who he's talking to. You know, it's some people he talks to, he's like, yeah, for sure I want to go see USC. And then, you know, he goes to Florida State, comes back from an unofficial visit, and starts talking about how he's not really sure if he's going to visit or not. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think for the out-of-state guys, to this point, um, it seems to be after the season, the majority of those uh, those visits are going to come. Um, we'll see who's able to come in for the November 26th, uh, the UCLA game. At this point, the only guy that's got set uh, in stone for sure coming in for that weekend is going to be Noir Davis, uh, the 6'4", 225-pound uh, linebacker uh, slash maybe defensive end from uh, uh, Leesburg, Florida. Um, that's the only guy that we know for sure right now has that schedule. But we're expecting more to be scheduled. We'll just see who it is. Okay, and then we got one last one, Gerard, from Jer- – man, this is rapid fire. I'm impressed, Gerard. You're, you're kicking butt on these. Uh, you always do well, but, you know, we, we – Yeah, I screwed up on Darius Hamilton, though. I blinked on his name because I'm going so fast. That was the other defensive end from, uh, uh, from Don Bosco that USC offered uh, the teammate of Yuri Wright. So. Okay, well, we, <laughs> we always forget. We forgive you. It doesn't matter. Uh, okay, one last one from Jerry. If USC is able to land Zach Banner and Eric Armstead, would they be allowed to switch to basketball scholarships after two seasons, assuming they actually do play both sports? As I understand it, they must be on a football scholarship for two years if they play football and another sport. This could free up two scholarships, if not the third season, because we might already be at 75. Then in the fourth, you could be back up to 25 and 85. That's a good question, and I I really don't know. I think with Eric Armstead right now, uh, the chances of him being at USC are slim and none. Um, not sounding like that's real positive situation right now, and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, with Zach Banner, I mean, it, it you know you do have to sit out two years um, as a well you don't you don't you have to if you're on a football team and you're you're going to play football uh, you can't be on another scholarship for another school for two years so you have to be on that football scholarship if you're going to play football um, but how that works. You know, post being a football player, I mean, Tony Burnett was a track guy for most of his career, came over to the football team when he was a sophomore. Now he's a junior, but is he still, is he on a track scholarship or is he on a football scholarship? From what I understand, he's on a football scholarship yeah, football, now. Yeah, Yeah, so I don't know rules-wise that you can actually do that. You may still have to be on a football scholarship. They make it really hard. They make it really hard yeah. to be able to overlap and to bring – you know, athletes from other sports onto the football team, uh, basically because they're already got so many scholarships for football compared to other sports. And, you know, you, you, they really don't want teams stacking their football rosters, uh, with scholarships from other players. So it's, it, you know, it's probably not doable. Um, if it was doable, I'm sure USC is going to try to do as much of that as they can. Um, Lane is the guy to find <laughs> those loopholes and those angles. I mean, he's always looking and, and trying to strategize when it comes to recruiting. So, um, I, I, it sounds like a great idea but i got a feeling it probably wouldn't work um but zach banner is a guy zach banner and ronnie stanley is another guy who plays basketball uh that's kind of playing with the idea of playing both football and basketball uh in in college so we'll see you know uh, those two players and um you know maybe something changes with eric armstead uh but that latest date it just doesn't really sound real good for him because it doesn't sound like usc is going to clear his brother armand uh to play next year all right. Well, Gerard, hey, great stuff. We really appreciate all the uh, insight into recruiting, and thanks to everyone for all the questions out there. We keep getting a ton ton of questions. It's hard. I mean, pretty much the whole show is answering questions. So uh, it's cool stuff, and I uh, you know, hope we keep it going throughout the off season like we've been doing. And uh, thanks again, Gerard, for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. went a little long today, but we wanted to get to all your questions. 
Not because of me. No, no, Gerard, you definitely <laughs> kicked some butt today. It was awesome. Uh, great stuff. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week breaking down what happened at USC and Oregon. Stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 